you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We are finishing this morning uh, our study of the book of Ecclesiastes, and next week we will begin a new study in the book of Ephesians. It is, in a sense, the end of the matter uh, as we complete this study of this glorious Old Testament book, and is so often the case for me, I have mixed feelings as we wrap up our study, and, and my ambivalence is largely rooted in the fact that I have to do a heart transfer from thinking about Ecclesiastes to then thinking about another book where God, we trust, will magnificently reveal himself. The famous American writer Tom Wolfe referred to the book of Ecclesiastes as the highest flower of poetry, eloquence, and truth, the greatest single piece of writing I have ever known. So it is with some genuine sadness that we leave the book of Ecclesiastes, yet it is also with a sense of awe and tremendous anticipation that we plan to meet our glorious God in the book of Ephesians as well. William Owen Carver, the man who essentially founded Southern Seminary's missions department in 1899, called the book of Ephesians the greatest piece of writing in all of history. He said Ephesians may be the most influential document ever written. In other words, we're just going to move from one masterpiece to the next. We'll move from the the striking observations and, and the literary artistry of Solomon and Ecclesiastes to phrases used by the Apostle Paul that are so, so packed with power and theological significance that that we'll need to slow way down and almost take the phrases one at a time as we work through the book. Ephesians will not disappoint us. But this morning, as we wrap up our first masterpiece, I'm so thankful that this morning is a communion Sunday. It's a poignant way to to end our study of Ecclesiastes as we grapple with the final exhortations and observations of the poet king who has challenged us with his words of wisdom. Our passage this morning is Ecclesiastes 12, verses 9 through 14. So brothers and sisters, hear Hear the word of the only wise God. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. 
the end of the matter. <clears throat> All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so, Lord, we ask you to lead us this morning. What is it that you desire to show us? Spirit, would you make us uncomfortable in the places where you desire for us to be uncomfortable? And would you comfort us in the areas where we need to be comforted? Please lead us and reveal your glory, the glory of the Father and the Son and the Spirit as we work through these words. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So since these words mark the end of Ecclesiastes, I thought it would be helpful to reflect a little bit on how the book of Ecclesiastes has impacted us. In order to do that, I want to ask basically three questions of these little mini sections here at the end. First, as we begin to wade into the passage this morning, let's ask whether or not these carefully arranged words have actually been a delight to us personally. That's an important thing to know. Because that's where the diagnosis begins about what's going on in our hearts. And then as we wade a little bit more deeply in, let's ask, how have these wise words prodded us and in what ways have they brought us peace? And then finally, as we look at the very end of the book, we'll see where we are directed by Solomon's final observations. But let's begin with the first two verses, verses 9 and 10. Ecclesiastes is a book that many people feel very emotional about. Many of you have told me that it's, it's actually your favorite book of the Bible, and in particular your favorite Old Testament book of the Bible, because in some places it's just so raw. The book of Ecclesiastes puts words to things that we feel deep inside. The, the frustrations of life, painful experiences, the beauty and the wonder and the brokenness of this world. It puts words, poetic words, to the longings of our hearts. Here, in these final verses, Solomon kind of ends where he began by referring to himself and to the role that he's fulfilling at this moment, kind of in the third person, as he comments on the very words that he has just delivered. What's fascinating is that he says his goal or his aim in carefully arranging his words was to find words of joy. 
That is words of delight for his hearers. Now, in our introduction to Ecclesiastes, I offered this description of the message of the book. Life can be extremely frustrating because it it can't be fully comprehended or controlled, but God has designed this world so that our pleasure and our pain, our excitement and our exasperation, the things that cause us to marvel, and even life's monotony all direct us to find our ultimate fulfillment in him. Simply put, the message of Ecclesiastes is designed to bring us to the end of ourselves. No matter how hard we try, we can't can't quite figure out how to engineer our lives in such a way that we actually obtain the outcomes that we desire. Now, even if personally you think you're doing okay, I mean, just take headlines from any day's news cycle. Mass shooting in West Texas just yesterday. Hurricane Dorian is about to slam into the Florida coast as a Category 5. How many people whose homes are about to be destroyed are going to just lift their hands up in desperation and say, why? Why? God. Solomon expressed the reality well when he said, consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Wisdom literature leads us to ask the the deeper and the harder questions. Namely, if we consider the work of God, That is, who can make straight what he has made crooked? If that is true, in fact, then then how in the world can these be considered words of delight? Again and again, Solomon describes painful realities, and then he points us to the one who is Lord of both the straight path and the crooked one. It can be painful to realize that God has brought a crooked path that is a path that you never anticipated you would have to walk into your life. The devastation, devastation can be redeemed through words of delight. When they break us, from the addictions, the allurements of this world and fix our eyes on the only one in whom true satisfaction and ultimate joy can be found. The question is, how? How does that work? How do the devastating observations become words of delight for us? Verses 11 and 12. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, be aware of anything beyond these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. So here Solomon uses 
two very basic images to illustrate the way wise words work in our lives. In the first place, he talks about a goad. Now, in Solomon's time, which would have been 3,000 years ago, even in our time, a goad is basically not a complicated instrument. It's essentially the same thing. It's a long stick or a shaft with some kind of point on the end that's, that's designed to prod or to goad an animal, to send them in the direction that you want them to go, whether you're a farmer or whether you're a shepherd. The goad was designed to sting a little bit, to get the animal's attention. So the question immediately becomes, when we consider this analogy, is there a place where perhaps even now the Holy Spirit is goading you? Where is he making you feel a little bit uncomfortable? Perhaps as we've walked through this study of Ecclesiastes. Could it be that he's making you feel uncomfortable because he wants you to see that there's a direction that he would like you to go? The reality is that just like animals, we are very prone to either just stand in place or to wander off in directions that we were never meant to go. So Spirit of the living God, would you, would you reveal to us even now how your word can serve as a goad in our lives and in our hearts, showing us the way that you would desire for us to go. Sometimes we need God's spirit prodding and poking us, as it were, in order to get us to see who it is we need to talk to about the good news regarding Jesus Christ. Sometimes we need God's spirit poking us and and prodding us to see where we need to serve at church or in our communities. Sometimes we need God's Spirit poking and prodding us in order to see what training we need to take or what decisions we need to make in order for us to be directed to the place where the Lord would have us to go. This is what it looks like often to be walking in the Spirit as God's Word pokes and prods us lovingly in a particular direction. Now, nails that are firmly fixed are are designed to bring to mind strength and and security and stability. Uh, A few years ago, I was helping to fix a a neighbor's fence, and and a heavy branch had laid down on on a big section of fence and caused it to pull away from the fence post. So just after cutting the branch off, it only took one three-inch framing nail driven into a post to hold the entire section of fence back up. It stabilized it. I put a few extra nails in there just to be safe, but nonetheless, it had the power to fix, stabilize, secure the fencing. Difficult words, if they are Upright words of truth. And difficult words could mean anything. It can be any kind of confrontation as you're sitting down reading the Word of God. It can be a difficult providence that comes into our lives from the hand of God. But if they are upright words of truth, though they might initially sting, 
They can also be used to stabilize us, to secure our faith. Wise words remind us that we must depend on God as the only ultimate source for our provision, for our security, and for our joy. Upright words of truth strengthen us when the, when the heaviness of life, that is the frustrating and the exasperating, sometimes even the, the devastating experiences of life, when they, when they knock us sideways. Think about what truths you may need to have nailed that is more firmly fixed to your heart regarding Jesus Christ. To know, no matter what you're facing, that He is good. To know that He is sovereign over everything that happens in our lives. To know that He has redeemed us. That the Father has adopted us. That the Spirit has indwelt us there will be about a hundred truths we will nail into our hearts as we walk through Ephesians in the coming weeks every one of them serving the purpose of stabilizing us in the midst of this chaotic world but upright words of truth also provide grounding for us when things are going well when we would describe our lives as blessed Words of truth firmly fix our eyes on Jesus so we don't forget how utterly dependent on God we actually are at every moment. And if you doubt this, hold your breath for about 45 seconds and see how desperately you become aware of the fact that you are utterly dependent upon God for every breath you take. Things we take for granted, that God is the Lord of the air that we breathe. Often the downtimes, after a long period of perceived blessing, are the most difficult to deal with. That's why good things indeed make great gifts, but terrible gods. Upright words of truth remind us that even God's blessings, just fill in the blank, whether that's our health or comfort or our financial security or our spouses or our houses or our children or friends or work or church, none of these things are designed to be our ultimate source of joy. That is a role that God reserves ultimately and exclusively for himself. Ecclesiastes 7.14, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. Brothers and sisters, we will find abiding peace and satisfying joy when we come to know the one who is reigning over all things, over the crooked path as well as the straight path. He cares for us and is working for our eternal good. His provision of us, his care for us is why I love the fact that that Solomon brings back in shepherding imagery here at the end of the book. Now, he's laced this imagery, though subtly, 
So, throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, recall that the most common phrase in the book is that all is vanity and a striving after wind. Now, the word translated striving is the root word for shepherd in Hebrew. In other words, the phrase basically means the idea of trying to control the circumstances of our lives is like trying to shepherd the wind or trying to corral the wind. Absolutely impossible for us. As Solomon brings his message to a close, he's saying, there is, however, one shepherd who not only corrals, but in fact is actually able to command the wind. Now, perhaps he was thinking of the famous words his father penned in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, my shepherd is my ultimate provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He is the Lord of our prosperity. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake, no doubt with some goading along the way. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's the Lord of adversity as well, I will fear no evil for you are with me And then think hard about this imagery in light of what we're talking about. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you know, brothers and sisters, do you know the prodding and the comfort that comes from God's word this morning? From the presence of the Spirit in your lives? The prodding and the peace largely describe what it looks like to just be in relationship with God's Spirit on a daily basis. Do you know that whatever befalls you, though that providence may sting like a prod from a shepherd's goad, that that this providence is given by the one and only divine shepherd who cares for you? Can you imagine how excited Solomon would have been if he could have looked forward and seen the Messiah, Jesus himself, declare, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd once stood on the Sea of Galilee in the midst of a fierce storm and simply declared, peace be still. And the wind and the waves bowed instantly at his feet. If this shepherd can command the wind literally, surely he can figuratively corral the winds of your life and bring them under control, stabilizing your life and helping you to find your ultimate joy and satisfaction in him.
the words that may sting but will ultimately stabilize are, are found here in God's Word. Which is why in verse 12, Solomon makes the point to say, don't be constantly seeking out more information. Don't be constantly looking for another solution. Don't be constantly trying to get one more perspective. Once you've found the inscrutable wisdom of God, trust in it with all of your heart. Once you find a vein of gold, you mine it for all it's worth. And brothers and sisters, in this glorious book is a vein that will never be exhausted because this book reveals the unsearchable riches of the glory of Jesus Christ in whom are found all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, where are we ultimately directed at the end of Solomon's final observations. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Where are we directed? We are directed to the one who not only observes and understands how every detail of every aspect of every person's life works. We are directed to fear the one who will sit in judgment over every person and Every action ever done under the sun. Fear is the right response to one who not only sees everything, understands everything, but has the power and the authority to judge absolutely everything. Therefore, Solomon says, we should obey his commands. In fact, he uses rather all-consuming language here, which, which I love, the whole duty of man, because it really reminds us a lot about what Jesus said about the law as well. In fact, literally, verse 13 translates, this is the whole of man which is almost precisely how Jesus talked about it in Matthew 22 in reference to the law. To sum it up, he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the thing. The end of Ecclesiastes isn't just an or else type of warning. Fear God and obey His commands or else. Solomon is comforted 
by the reality that one day perfect justice will come to be. The question for us is, if the standard of judgment is an all-consuming love for God and for one another, and if God will judge all of us with a perfect justice at the end of time, what emotion wells up in your heart when you consider that? Fear or joy? In other words, given this standard and where Solomon is directing us, how can these be considered words of delight? They become words of delight when when we see these words in light of the full revelation of God's word. They become words of delight when we realize that for the believer, every last evil deed done out in the open or done in secret has already been judged and nailed to the cross of Calvary. We might say firmly fixed on that cross. Solomon would not have known, he couldn't have known, how how God would bring forth justice out of this crooked world. He couldn't have envisioned God's son hanging on a Roman cross. But he did believe in forgiveness. If you look at his prayer of dedication over the temple, that is the house of God, it basically is an extended plea for God to forgive sinners when they would turn toward the temple, whether Israelite or whether foreigner. He said, when they turn and look to the temple and cry out to you for mercy, God, forgive, forgive sinners. At this dedication of the temple, Solomon sacrificed 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep as a peace offering to God. That's a lot of blood incapable of forgiving sin but ultimately peace with God came through the sacrifice of Jesus once for all for the forgiveness of sins his blood is able to wash away sin forever This is the sacrifice, brothers and sisters, that we are celebrating 2,000 years after it happened. The words of Ecclesiastes become words of delight for us when we realize that our attempts at all-consuming love are not the basis by which God judges us righteous. Rather, As recipients of grace, we revel in the fact that God showed his all-consuming love for us when he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the miracle of the gospel, that we will be judged righteous, not because of our merits, but because of our union to another. That is God's Son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. For our sake, God made him to be sin. Jesus, who knew no sin, so that in him, that is in Christ, we, sinners, rebels, might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the place where the wise words of Solomon ultimately have led us, whether he had eyes to see that or not. His upright words of truth have led us to one shepherd, the shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep, the good shepherd who can both corral and command the wind. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, whatever heaviness comes our way in this life, we can say with King Solomon and with his father, King David, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Would you pray with me? Lord, what a miracle that we are in fellowship with you. At the end of the day, we recognize that both that which is good and that which is difficult lead us to you. So would you help us to trust in that reality so that we might, as your people, die to this world and all of its attraction and find our ultimate satisfaction and security and hope and peace, and joy in you alone. To that end, Lord, let that knowledge fly like a banner over us while we celebrate the sacrifice that made it all possible this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.